So for, for those of you who did uh, misbehave as a child, something I know nothing about, of course, you probably heard the phrase, uh, you know better, right? The, the point that a parent makes with this phrase, you know better, is that when we misbehave, often it's not because we lack knowledge, about what we should do or what's expected of us, but rather we have decided to act contrary to that knowledge. We know what the right thing to do is, but we choose to do the wrong thing instead. And when we choose what is wrong, we're held accountable. That is true with our parents. And it's certainly true with our God. In Jude 5 to 7, verses 5 to 7, we, we are reminded, indeed, about our accountability to God. Specifically concerning why we, as God's people, have to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. As we have worked through the, the book of Jude so far, we have seen that this letter is emphatically about perseverance in the faith, right? And that point comes to the fore as we consider verses 5 to 7. But before we jump right to the point of these verses, it, it might be helpful to remind ourselves kind of what we have considered so far. And so Jude opened with this contrast between, uh, on the one hand, the called, who are, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, and on the other hand, ungodly people who pervert God's grace into sensuality and deny Jesus Christ. And then, so Jude's letter then drops, it addresses, it, it drops in between those two groups to provoke the church to take account of itself because certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Because of that, the church must contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In verses 5 to 7, Jude then outlines three examples, three examples of why the church must contend for the faith. We spent two weeks unpacking the, the assumptions underneath verse 5, namely that Christ has always been the Savior of God's people throughout every era of the covenant of grace, but also that it is possible to participate in the administration of the covenant without truly partaking of the substance by faith. Now, with those assumptions in place for us, we can now get our minds around what Jude exhorting God's people to consider within the broader scope of, of his argument in these three verses. So the main point, and our main point today is that no matter what status or position we may have, 
We are not safe from God's judgment unless we truly believe in Christ. No matter what status or position we may have, we are not safe from God's judgment unless we truly believe in Christ. So we're going to think about this. Uh, we're going to look at these three examples. And these. so each one, so, so a heading for each example is presence, position, and prestige. Each one of those corresponds to one of those examples. So the first one is about presence. And this point focuses on unpacking that first example in verse 5 so that we can unearth uh, the thrust of Jude's exhortation here. So keep in mind uh, that at this point, we know Jude's main point from this letter. Right, The, the running theme is contend for the faith delivered to the saints. That's his core admonition, which everything following supports. He is writing to prompt perseverance. And the reason that that he has to admonish the church to contend for the faith is that certain ungodly people have entered the community and they are teaching contrary to the truth and they are endorsing immorality. Jude knew that it's very easy for God's people to be gripped by rhetorical flourish, right? And, and the, the enemies of, of true grace ha- have often led the church astray by packaging their lies in wrappings of biblical and theological language tagged with the label of love and disguising error with vestiges of the truth. This letter then targets those deceptions for what they are, deviations from the truth that God has made known to his people. Because God has made this truth known to us, Jude wanted to remind the church of the things that we once knew. He's very clear about that. Although you once fully knew it, you know better. Jude's first example, so that it comes from the, the structure of the covenant of grace, which is why we spent so much time looking at that. So verse 5 says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So, uh, I hope you kind of caught it as we as we read our scripture passages earlier. But Jude was reflecting on Numbers 14, where uh, God announced that the, the people who had rebelled against him, their bodies would be left in the wilderness. And indeed, that comes to at least a first fruition in that he announced Israel's defeat in battle. And that occurred. So right, the, the, the statement, the judgment 
that none of those who had rebelled would enter, but their bodies would be left in the wilderness, uh, is, is at least demonstrated first in Numbers 14, 44, and 45. Right? But presumed, despite what God had said, they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. So directly in conflict to what, uh, God had, how God had told them to operate. Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. So just like Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 6, which we'll think about some tonight uh, with a different application, Jude attributed both the rescue from Egypt and the subsequent defeat in the wilderness to God's own actions. Jude's point was that Christ has always had a community which have been bound to him by the external administration of the covenant. Within that administration, there are those who do not truly believe. This has always been the case and remains the case today. Sometimes, as Paul seemed to emphasize, these are those who fall away because of the fault of others. Uh, other times, as Jude highlighted, there are those, even within the covenant, who fully rebel against our Lord out of unbelief. We saw how Hebrews 6 says that the blessings of the covenant, the preaching of the word, our participation in the fellowship, receiving of the sacraments, these blessings are rain that falls on the people as we receive them and sometimes causes people to sprout thorns and thistles, which is what happened in Numbers 14. And so Jude's first example was that there can be rebels even among God's people as those who have weaseled into the church to which Jude wrote. So the point that Jude is trying to make with this example, which remains relevant for us today, is that your presence within the church does not guarantee your salvation. Just being here does not mean that you belong to God. In in terms of our main point, your position as a church member, right? Your, your place here, your presence as a church member is not the thing that secures your entry into everlasting life. The church is the place where God distributes his means of grace. But if, if you are not taking hold of Christ by faith, as he is offered, as Christ is offered through the means of grace, well, then you are one whom Jesus will destroy. The church is a place, the place, where God offers rescue. 
But indeed, as Christ destroyed those unbelievers in the midst of his people, he will destroy those among his church who do not truly believe in him. And we need to note that this is not about, right, this is not about whether you're a good enough Christian. And I think we need to be very clear about that because that's where a lot of people gravitate at this point. This is not about meeting the standard. Jude was very clear that the issue was about those who did not believe. So the question for everyone here is, do we believe? Right? Are, are you personally someone without faith, but who thinks God's proud of you? For your church involvement? Even though you don't trust in Christ? God is not proud of you just for being here. He is ready first to destroy those who are among his people, but who lack faith in Christ. Perhaps, right, this is a particular Note to sound for our covenant children. You're baptized into this congregation. And, and right, that is a, an immense blessing that you are bound to God's promises. And yet, you can be so used to church that it feels secondhand in some ways. It can feel a bit boring because it's just what's always been there. It's only boring, though, if you're not taking seriously that everyone without true faith in Christ goes through an eternity of suffering in hell. Right? The fact that God meets us here in blessing in blessing that he would come to those with promises to do good to us if we trust in the Son, despite what we deserve. There's nothing boring about that. But maybe we also need to think about how oftentimes there are many here who come in this congregation who do not believe. We are glad that you are here. We rejoice that you are here. And we are praying that as you receive these means of grace, they are bringing forth a fruitful crop. But that needs to happen. You need to have true faith in Jesus for your time here to matter. You're not safe. Unless you have true faith in Jesus. And so now, right now, regardless of what category, was one of those some other category? Right? All of us watch our hearts that we do trust in Christ. Renew our vigor in that. If it is there. 
Jude demonstrates that we cannot count on mere presence in the church. Right? But we must believe in Christ. Brings us to our second point. Position. So Jude's second example here. We see uh, the example of uh, our presence in the church does not guarantee our safety. Uh, and now we're, we're looking at how position does not guarantee our safety. And Jude's second example here is the angels who fell. Right, so verse 6, uh, yeah, it, perhaps it, it might have been more helpful. I mean, the first word in, in verse 6 is and. Uh, we could perhaps smooth it out into so too. Uh, to, to show that this is a, a following example along the same lines. So, verse 6, So too the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, there's an interesting feature here that uh, I think we should mark. So one of the key words throughout the book of Jude, and I've tried to highlight this already for you, is keep, right? or various tenses and versions of keep. We've noted a few times together that this letter opens by designating the called ones as those who are kept for Jesus Christ, right? And then exhorts us towards the end in verse 21 to keep ourselves in the love of God and closes with how God is able to keep or guard uh, you from stumbling. And and that theme is pronounced in verse 6 as there is a distinction uh, between the angels who did not stay. So if you, if you Look at verse 6 there. It says, angels who did not stay. The same Greek word there for keep is underneath that. So the same angels who did, so the angels who did not keep to their realm of authority, because they rebelled, in light of that, God has kept them in, in chains for judgment. Just as God's elect are kept for Jesus Christ, Fallen angels are kept until the great day, uh, the judgment of the great day. So uh, here's something that we need to, to take account of as, as we look at this. Whereas, whereas God dealt with humanity in our first representative, Adam, we thought about that when we worked through Genesis 1 and 2, right? So also, as God dealt with us in Adam, we fell. In Adam. And God elected some sinners to salvation by our new representative, Jesus Christ. Now, in, in contrast to that, angels stand before God as individuals. They don't have a representative. Each one is on their own to deal with God according to what they have done. So in, in that light, right, we, in our verse here, we see that the elect angels never fell into sin at all, but others chose to depart their first dwelling by rebelling against God. 
Now, most scholars here think that that Jude in, in this verse is referring to Genesis 6, 1 to 4, which is there on your sheet. And you can glance at it if you want. They think he's reflecting on how uh, in that passage, the sons of God had children with the daughters of men, which would indicate that uh, if these sons of God are angels, they left heaven for those relationships and so rebelled against God by leaving heaven uh, to have children with human women. Uh, if if Jude is reflecting upon that passage, then we have an inspired interpretation of a very difficult and, and tricky passage to understand, uh, indeed. But, uh, and, and there's a lot, I mean, Jude is going to cite sort of pre-Christian books that, that take that uh, interpretation, and there's a long Jewish tradition of understanding that passage that way. Uh, it is plausible that Jude is reflecting upon that passage. I think it's worth you knowing that to have as you think about various portions of Scripture. But Jude does not actually say anything so specific. He just says that the angels did not keep within their proper dwelling. Right? We admit, regardless of how and and when, that some angels sinned against God in some way at some point. And that is what Jude says. And regardless of where you, to, to, I think it's important for you to know that, but to land the plane, uh, regardless of where you think or how you think, Jude got his reference to these angels. His point was clearly that these angels are glorious creatures that still found themselves under God's judgment because they rebelled against the Lord. Right? They are glorious and yet still ended up in judgment because of their rebellion. Right? We sang, well, we reflected uh, upon Psalm 8 about how humanity has glory just a little lower than the angels. With, with the clear point, right, that angels have lots of glory. And, and here's the issue that we need to take away. Despite having a tremendous, glorious position, the, these angels fell under God's judgment. Jude's point of mentioning that to us as our second example here is that we, right, today in every era, right, we cannot depend upon our power and personal glory to preserve us from judgment if we do not have faith in Christ. True faith alone is where we find safety and escape from judgment. So, right? Do not count. Do not count on your position. 
Whether your, whether your temptation is to lean on your social standing, your job, your education, your money, your reputation, your house, your clothes, your anything. It doesn't matter. Do not lean on your position. God will judge you forever if you do not place your faith in the Savior. Your worldly glory makes no contribution on that front. You must find your rescue, your safety, by true faith in Jesus Christ. Brings us to our last point. Prestige. Jude's first point. Uh, first example, sorry. Jude's first example showed how being among God's people uh, on its own is insufficient for salvation if you do not have true faith in Christ. Uh, and then, as we just talked about, his second example is how our personal glory, our position in the world, are likewise of no value towards salvation, but only true faith in Jesus Christ counts. Lastly... In verse 7, he brought forth the destruction of great cities of the ancient world to show how our prestige cannot protect us from God's judgment, but only true faith in Jesus Christ will secure our rescue and safety. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Right, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been major urban centers uh, for their time. Imagine, you know, if if we were to receive now. Uh, the announcement that God will bring destruction upon London, New York, or Rome, any major world city. Many moderns, we, we tend to think that God would not do something to, to places that are of such great importance to, to how the global economy and, and how the structures of, of culture operate. Clearly he would, though, from the biblical text and the situation in which the world finds itself right now. I'm not saying that what's happening to the world is an act of judgment. I am saying God has no problem interfering with how the most important cities to human societies run. I think that's an important distinction. Nowhere was or is safe from God's judgment if God's law is violated. In other words, right, your prestige, your reputation, your popularity, your notoriety, your connections to the cultural elite, your job, your school, or anywhere else, None of it will restrain God's everlasting judgment of fiery punishment. Only hiding ourselves for safety in the Savior 
by true faith in him will provide the shelter we need from God's approaching condemnation. Sodom and Gomorrah were not spared despite their immense prestige. We cannot hope to be the exception. And so, we must flee to Christ for salvation. Are you leaning on your presence in the church? On your position of glory? Or your prestige in the world? Of whatever sort. To avoid the fact that God will condemn you if you are not found in Christ. Now is the time to consider that. Because Jude was so very clear that those whom Jesus destroyed were those who did not believe. Would you not now believe and not be destroyed? Are you at this moment giving yourself to Christ for the forgiveness of sin? That is where we find and know, if you've done that, and know safety from judgment in the sweet shelter of the cross where Jesus Christ took that for us, dying in our place, that we might be reconciled to our God, renewed in his presence, finding full communion with the God who made and redeems us. But I think I think we can make one more application here from from the scope of the, the whole argument that Jude has made. He used three examples to show that we are not safe from God's judgment unless we truly believe in Jesus Christ. But but th- that point is meant to reinforce the admonition, that central admonition to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. He was worried about coming judgment because of what people were teaching. False doctrine. Right, We are accountable to God. That's where we started. We are accountable to God. He has given us all we need in Scripture that we should know better. And here's the thing. Your neighbor's life is at stake in this. We are talking about relationships with God himself wrapped up in this. So contend for the faith. And right here for us, LCPC is at a moment of note on this exact point, are we not? In Acts 20, Paul told the Ephesian elders that wolves would creep into the church after he left. 
right here in Jude, perhaps precisely because he had been their teaching elder in residence, but had since moved on, perhaps because of that, ungodly people had crept in to deceive the saints. And our leadership is about to transition. As we send Reverend Pearson to Dundee, and that in in the vacuum of transition is so often where wolves try to creep in. So, faithful church member, contend for the faith. Double down on your own doctrine. This is not the moment to be lax, but to be vigilant. As we have been exhorted, so as you pray for our upcoming interim moderator vacancy committee and next pastor, pray for men of sound doctrine. Contend for the faith in your prayers, lives, eternities are at stake. I think we often file doctrine away as an academic luxury, which some of the brainier Christians like, right? Jude tells us, though, The answer to the perversion of grace and sexual deviancy was to contend for the faith, what we believe. When our minds are filled with the truth, when we are soaked in the scripture, when we are enamored with the glory of Christ, when we are thrilled with everything that God has revealed in the Scripture about Himself and His works. Grace is magnified and sin is mortified. Theology. It's what we're talking about. But what we mean is talk about God. Theology as talking about God, what we say about our Lord and Savior, is actually what fills our hearts with love and delight for what is good and drives out our love for the world and its filth. Doctrine sets Christ before us as the glorious Savior, to grasp by the hand of faith and to rest upon him for salvation. As soon as we want to talk about Jesus, and the question is, who is Jesus? We're in doctrine. So we have to contend for the faith. Perhaps you are firmly assured in your salvation. And I hope you are. And, and, and if you trust in Christ, you should be. Right? The, 
The exhortation to contend for the faith is not one that you might doubt where you stand with God if you have taken hold of Christ. That is not our point. Right, but you know what you believe. But if you look at, I mean, right now is the prime example of that. If you look at the next bubble seated feet away from you, do you know what they believe? Do you know if they believe? You may have full assurance, but as you look to your neighbor, whom we are meant and supposed to love, do you have full assurance about them? Because what we believe determines death and destruction or everlasting life. If you love your neighbor... Contend for the faith so that all of us, as we look across the room, as we gather to worship the risen Christ, so that we all would know Christ. That we would understand the doctrines of the Savior, who he is and what he has done. Because he is our rescue. Let's pray. Father God, we consider a passage that is one that stirs us to action, but perhaps an unusual action, one to contend for what we believe, contend for the faith that you have delivered to us. And we ask right now, Lord, that as you have exhorted us through Jude to that, that you yourself would contend for the faith amongst these people. That you would work in our hearts to cherish the things of the Holy Scripture. And you have revealed to us that we might treasure them up in our heart. Work that in us. Contend for the faith, our Lord, by moving in us. Help us to value the things of God's word. That grace might be magnified and sin mortified as we are captivated by the glory of Jesus. Put in us a love for these things, not not simply as just an endeavor to understand, but because we care about our neighbor. Yes, we can have personal assurance if we trust in Jesus, and we pray that you would strengthen that in each one of us. But we don't know what's happening in the person across the room. So help us contend for the faith. In this moment, in the days ahead, God, would you make us faithful to what you have said?
about you and what you have done in your word. Open our minds that we would grasp this and that we would seek after you, that we would labor in prayer, that this would be a congregation where the truth is always central. And in the truth, you would be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.